talking to his prayers Cause every breath is like a battle I feel like I ain't come prepared And death's knocking on the front door Pain's creeping through the back And fear's crawling through the window Waiting for him to attack They say don't get bitter, get better I'm working on switching them letters But tell God I'ma need a whole lot of hope Keeping it together I'm smiling in everyone's face I'm crying whenever they leave the room They don't know the battle I face They don't understand what I'm going through The world trying to pray on my soul I'm just trying to find where to go I'm trying to remember the way I'm trying to get back to my home And I can't do this on my own That's why I'm just trusting in you And I don't know where else to go And I don't know what else to do Just fight a little longer, my friend It's all worth it in the end But when you've got nobody to turn to Just hold on and I'll find you yeah. Just fight a little longer, my friend It's all worth it in the end But when you've got nobody to turn to And pain hates I say pain strengthens And fear drives faith And I don't know all of the outcomes Don't know what happens tomorrow But when that ocean of doubt comes Don't let me drown in my sorrow And don't let me stay at the bottom I feel like this hole is too deep to climb I've been looking for a way out But I settled for a peace of mind Picking up the pieces of my life And hoping that I put together something right Tell me all I got is all I need Tell me you gon' help me stand fight The world tryna pray on my soul I'm just tryna find where to go I'm tryna remember the way I'm tryna get back to my home And I can't do this on my own That's why I'm distressing to you And I don't know where else to go And I don't know what else to do you go but he'll hold you in your arm in his arms and he'll never drop you 
guide you. He'll come chasing after you and never give up. He'll find you. All right, good morning, Northridge. How are you? Good to see you guys. Um, my name is Pete, and I get to be with you guys from time to time. It's an honor to be here with you today. I want to welcome all of you. Welcome those of you watching online as well. Um, that song, there's this phrase that gets repeated over and over, this idea of hold on and I'll find you. If you've ever been through like anything difficult before, maybe a difficult season or circumstance, you've probably had someone around you encourage you by saying, hold on, like hold on. And the idea behind that encouragement, the idea behind that promise is that if you can persevere, like if you can keep your head above water, that on the other side of whatever it is that you might be going through, things are going to get better. Hold on. It's, it's this promise, right? Now, my question is, is that true? That if you hold on, that if you persevere, that on the other side, things will be better or that things might be different. And the reality is that a promise is only as good as the promisee, right? I mean, anybody can throw a promise out there, but it doesn't mean that they can absolutely back it up. And the reality is that every relationship that you have is based somewhat on perceptions, right? How you perceive that person to be, every relationship. Uh, growing up, I grew up on this great little street called Central Avenue. Uh, and it was a very, very like just normal kind of neighborhood, except for there was one house. It wasn't directly across the street from me, but it was across the street and like three houses down. And it was where a family named the Ormans lived. And these people were really weird. Like they just like, I don't know how else to say it. It was just a weird house and weird things happened that we observed as kids that scared us to death. You remember there's always like one of those homes in your neighborhood where you were sure there were some really shady things going on. That was the Ormans house. We saw some crazy things. Like one time as kids, we saw them carry a coffin out of the front door and load it up in the back of a station wagon. That's not normal, all right? I don't care who you are, that is not normal. One day we saw like in, in their front window, there were like three dudes completely bald and painted blue, like completely painted blue. We're like, that's not normal either. Like this is scaring us, right? One day we saw two guys having a knife fight in their backyard and it looked like one of them had killed the other one. And we did not stay around to verify such. We just like took off running, right? And so as kids, we were always seeing these things happen at the woman's house and it was just freaking us out. And so one day we would always do these dares. I got the dare of Pete, we dare you to run up and ring the doorbell at the woman's house and run off. I'm like, no way I'm doing that, right? I'm not going anywhere in that yard. They're painted blue and they have knives and stuff. I'm not. Like, they'll load me up in the back of the station wagon, right? I'm not doing it. They're like, well, if you don't, you're a chicken. I'm like, all right, well, here we go now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this thing a shot. So I muster up all the courage that I have to run up there on the front porch and ring the doorbell and run off. I'm running so fast, I'm just terrified. I kind of miss the top step and I completely trip, fall flat on my face, right? And about that time, the front door opens and there's Miss Orman, who is the scariest of all the Orman family, all right? And she just kind of looks at me and she starts to laugh. Like she had been watching the whole thing like go down, right? And that was actually the beginning of a relationship that us as kids formed 
with that family. The Orman family ended up not being as weird as we thought. They owned a production company, the Orman Production Company. And they would shoot like little movie scenes and little things in their backyard. And so like, we didn't notice all that part, right? We just saw the knife fight. We just saw the people painted in blue. We just saw a casket get loaded into a station wagon, right? So our perception created the reality of this relationship. And that's the way it is with your human relationships. That's the way it is with your relationship with your heavenly father as well. Every single misconception that you have about God has a corresponding consequence. Like if you view God as some kind of cosmic cop that's just waiting for you to screw up, you're never really gonna trust him when you have difficulties in your life. If, if you view God as some cosmic being that's far off that has no idea what's going on in your life, when things get rough, you're not gonna really wanna trust him. You see, with every misconception you have about God, there's a corresponding consequence. This is why it's so important that we're in God's word because God's word is full of story after story after story that gives us a reality of a very clear picture of who this God is. And so there's two questions that I wanna to try to get you to start asking. I think these are two very important questions. The first one is this, what do you think about God? Like when God pops up into your mind, what do you think about him, about who he is? And the second question is equally as important, and that is what do you think God thinks about you? What do you think about God, and what do you think he thinks about you? Listen. That question and your answer to those two questions will shape so much about you. It'll shape your relationship with God. It'll shape your relationship with other people. It shapes your self-view. It shapes your decisions. It shapes your purpose. Like you can't separate who you are as a person and who you're becoming as a person uh, apart from whom you view God to be in your heart. This is of utmost importance that you get a really clear picture because again, for every misconception, there's a corresponding consequence. You're not going to live the life that he's created you to live. So I think it's really important that we get a clear picture of who God is. It's one of the reasons you guys commit to coming regularly to church, to get, just get a clear picture of who he is. We need to be reminded of that. And today I'm gonna talk about just one single attribute of God that can completely revolutionize your relationship with him. And that attribute is God's faithfulness. We'll talk about God's faithfulness and just how important it is to understand his faithfulness because his faithfulness is different from any other faithfulness you've ever tried to receive from another human being. And I wanna start in a kind of unlikely place. There's a book in the Old Testament. Maybe some of you have never even heard of this book. It's called Lamentations. And in this book, um, it's kind of um, tracking. There's a, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is in this season of life where nothing's going right and he can't really make sense of it. So he kind of blames it all on God. You've been there before, right? And so Jeremiah, this is chapter three. I'm gonna start in verse one. There's 20 verses of this. I'm not gonna read all 20 verses, but I think you'll kind of get the idea of the place that Jeremiah's at, all right? Uh, Jeremiah, or Lamentation chapter three, verse one. He writes, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has, he's talking about God here, he, has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. You see where he's going with this? Get all the way down to verse 17. He's still at it, right? I have been deprived of peace. That's how, exactly how some of you feel right now. 
You feel like you've just been robbed of peace in your life. You have no peace. It's always something that's just like bothering you, that's creating this kind of internal conflict for you. He says, I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Now, Jeremiah needs a hug, like really bad here, right? I mean, he just needs some love. Like he's in a bad place right now and he's trying to make sense of everything and he's blaming God for everything and why his life isn't turning out the way he thought it was gonna turn out. This is Jeremiah and I love these just really honest snippets that we have in scripture where he's pouring out all this anger and all this sorrow and all this disappointment and all this shock. Essentially, he's saying exactly what some of you are saying right now, which is life has not turned out the way I thought life was going to turn out. God has not shown up for me in the way I thought God was going to show up. And maybe for you right now, it's like a marriage issue and it feels like it's all unraveling. Maybe for you, um, it's a financial thing. And every time you feel like you kind of get your head just above water, like another bill comes in and you're like, are you kidding me? Like we're, we're never going to get ahead. And that pressure is just eating at you. Uh, maybe for you, it, it's a job thing and you're just stuck at a dead end or you have a boss that's making you miserable and like even thinking about having to go to work tomorrow just sends you into like depression. Maybe for you, it has to do with your kids. Maybe you have some teenage kids or some adult kids that are making some really poor decisions and it's breaking your heart and you feel completely helpless. Like we have these seasons, these moments, sometimes they last a lot longer than we'd like for them to, where nothing feels like it's working out. And you don't have to raise your hand on this, but my guess is if we were to survey you guys, the overwhelming majority of you would say you have at least one area in your life right now that's not working out in the way you thought it was gonna work out. And you're at this place where you're like, I, I don't even know who I can trust or what I can trust anymore. And this has been, listen, one of the hardest lessons of my life is that there's, there's something in me in the way that I'm wired, and I, I, a lot of you are probably wired very similarly, where I have this temptation constantly to put my hope in things that just don't pay off. I wanna put my hope in a plan that doesn't pay off. I wanna put my hope um, in, um, you know, in a thing that doesn't pay off. It doesn't bring me the joy that I thought it would. I wanna put my hope in a person. And again, this is a very painful lesson for me, but I, I'm learning that people, no matter how good they are, good churches, good small groups, spouses, um, uh, best friends, those people in my life, they just can't be 100% faithful to me all the time. It's not, that, it's not that they don't want to. They just can't. They don't have that capacity. Matter of fact, the definition of faithful is to be steadfast in affection or allegiance. And while people in my life have uh, moments of faithfulness, maybe they even have seasons of faithfulness, they are absolutely horribly inadequate at being faithful to me all the time. That's why understanding God and this attribute of faithfulness is so tough for us because we've never seen it here on this earth. We've never experienced it. And in fact, some of you, the people who were entrusted to love you the most in your life have been unfaithful to you and it scarred you in some pretty deep ways. 
And you have a hard time imagining this God that can be faithful, but he is and he'll never let you down. That doesn't mean he'll do exactly what you want him to do, when you want him to do it, in the way that you want him to do it, but he will never let you down. Jeremiah knew that in his darkest moment, he knew that God was faithful. We looked at those first 20 verses where Jeremiah is just spewing this seemingly hopelessness, but he gets to verse 21 and listen to what he says. Verse 21, he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that beautiful? Somehow Jeremiah knew, even in his darkest hour, he knew there was a God who is faithful, whose compassions would be new every single morning. There's this adjective used throughout scripture to describe the character of God. And the word is unfailing. God is unfailing. Now the contrast to that for us as human beings, the word that describes us most commonly is failing. That's what we're most consistent at in life is failing, right? But God is unfailing, meaning he is other. He is different than the way that we are. This is just who he is. Look at this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is, right? His faithfulness to us is not even based on our merit. It's not based on our ability to be faithful to him, even in our most unfaithful moments, right? Even when we're like Jeremiah and we're just pointing our finger at him, like, why is my life turning out this way? Even in those moments, he's still faithful. And we just see this over and over and over again. So my question is this, if we view God as absolutely faithful, how does that impact our lives? What does that look like just on a day-to-day -day basis? And so I want to make this as practical as I possibly can. I want the get it factor to go way up for you. And as you walk out today, I hope you're like, okay, I know how to take that attribute of God and apply that to my life. And so here's two things that I think we can do as a result of God's faithfulness. The first is we can just trust them with your present trouble. Trust him with your present trouble. Whatever it is, whatever trouble you have right now, you can trust him. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of a guy by the name of Abraham. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham. And he's like, I have a dream for you, Abraham. He's like, you're gonna be the father of a great nation. And this is an interesting dream because Abraham is pretty up there in life, right? He's getting pretty old. I mean, not as old as Pastor Brad, but like he's getting pretty old, right? Just kidding. He's not old. Just kidding. Uh, he's getting old, right? And so God says, you're going to be the father of a great nation. He has no kids, right? So it's a pretty dramatic kind of dream for his life, purpose for his life. And then God says, Abraham, I want you to go to the land I've called you to. I'm not even going to tell you where the land is. Just go. And when you get there, I'll let you know. So Abraham has a moment of faith. He trusts God in this moment. He takes this journey away from everything that he knew. He trusts God with his whole life. And he goes to this land, he gets there and God stops him. And you guys, some of you moved to Michigan, right? Because God prompted you to. Some of you moved here and it was a, it was a, you know, it was a job thing or maybe it was a family thing. Maybe it was a dream that God put on your heart. Uh, maybe you lived in Ohio and you just wanted an upgrade. Like, but there was, there was some, there was some sense that this is where you were supposed to be. Um, and maybe you came here and maybe things worked out awesome. Maybe you moved here and the bottom fell out for you. See, the interesting thing, and I think we have to be kind of careful, um, 
I know as a, as a teacher, sometimes I fall in this temptation of you read a story in the Bible and you want to kind of create an equation out of it. If you do this, then God will do that. You have to be real careful of that because you can't really put God in the box. And we see times where people are faithful to God and immediately their lives are blessed. God tells Moses, raise the rod and the Red Sea split instantly, right? God tells Joshua to march towards the Jordan and the waters dry up instantly. God tells Abraham to move to this land and the first thing that happens is the famine, right? So there, there's not this perfect equation. You can't play the if-then God game with God, that if you do this, then God will do that. It, it's usually not quite that simple. It's a little more complex. It's because God deeply cares, right, about who we're becoming as individuals. And so Abraham moves and things aren't going real well. Um, and, and here's this moment, right? When, when you are obedient to God and then it doesn't work out in the way you thought, you, you kind of have this choice to make. And I think this is an important progression in our faith. So some of you are just kind of checking out the whole God thing. You're, you're not really on board yet. Others of you are maybe new believers. And when you start following Jesus with your life, there's this temptation to um, wanna wrap your faith around your circumstances. So when life's going good, you're all about God. When the bottom falls out though, right? When your circumstances fall apart, your faith falls apart. So what happens over time, and this isn't like an immediate thing, over time what you have to do is kind of adjust where your faith isn't wrapped around your circumstances, your faith is wrapped around your identity or his identity, right? So you'll get in these moments where circumstantially speaking, it feels like God doesn't know and it feels like God doesn't care, but your faith isn't based on your circumstances, it's based in his identity. What's his identity? Well, scripture says that he knows every hair that you have on your head. He knows every tear that you've ever cried. So when you feel alone and you feel scared, you have to base your faith on his identity. You're not alone, right? He's with you every step of the way. And it's kind of that shift that begins to happen. You cannot allow your circumstances to define God because life in a broken world just has a way of trying to convince you that God's not with you that God doesn't know and that God doesn't care. And yet the truth of scripture is that he is powerfully present, even when it seems like he's apparently absent. He's there and he's working in your life. You can trust him with your present trouble. Second thing you can do because of God's faithfulness, um, you can trust him with your future plans. You can trust him with your future plans. Like you gotta put your future into the hands of the only person who can be 100% faithful to you all the time. And every day when you wake up, you have a choice to make, right? When you wake up tomorrow, you have a choice. Are you gonna put your future in God's hands or are you gonna put your future into the hands of your own abilities and the faithfulness of the people around you? And it's, and it's your choice. I'm just telling you right now though, every other basis of hope in life outside of God at some point is gonna disappoint you. And that's a painful lesson. Let me get back to this story uh, with Abraham. So he moves to the land, there's a famine, they work through that. We're now 10 years later. This is about 10 years after God had originally given Abraham this promise that he's gonna be a father of a great nation and he doesn't have a kid yet. You know what happens to Abraham? Exactly what happens to every one of us 
when God isn't working in the timetable we thought he was going to work. He gets frustrated. He starts to doubt. He starts to wonder, like, again, is this ever going to happen? We pick up this story, Genesis 15. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. This is Abraham essentially saying, God, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. I'm gonna have to take things into my own hands. This is Abraham saying, God, is the deal still on? Is the promise that you gave me like 10 years ago, is the deal still on? And then you get to verse four. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What an amazing moment, huh? I mean, can you imagine that moment? Abraham's all alone and he's just sitting in this tent. And God says, Abraham, step out of the tent. And Abraham steps out of the tent and he looks up. He sees all these stars. And God says, hey, Abraham, can you count those stars? And I just imagine it going down like this. Abraham's like, okay, uh, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. God's like, Abraham, what are you doing? He's like, I'm counting the stars. You told me. He's like, it's, it's a figure of speech, Abraham. Like, you can't count the stars. But Abraham, do you know who can count the stars? He's like, I can. And do you know why I can count the stars? I can count the stars because I created every single one of them. And I think it's this aha moment for Abraham. I think it's this moment where he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You can, I can't. You can, I can't. You can, I can't. And that night underneath the stars, God basically reinforces this promise to Abraham. And he's like, hey, Abraham, man, I know life is hard right now. And I know that um, you don't have a kid yet. And that's what you want more than anything in the world. And I know that um, you've had a lot of difficulties and a lot of setbacks. And Abraham, like you've lied through this journey and you have kind of a pattern of sin in your life. But with all these setbacks and all these difficulties and all these mistakes that you've made, Abraham, I want you to know something. The deal is still on. And the deal is still on, not because you have been faithful, Abraham, because we both know you have not been faithful. The deal is still on because I'm God and I'm faithful. The deal is still on because when you can't, I can. And so trust me, I made the stars. I made you. 
I put this plan into action and I will complete what I started in your life. And you know what? I just have to believe that that word is not just for Abraham. I have to believe that that word is for every single one of us in this place today. It's for every one of you that's watching online. God has brought you here and he's put you underneath the stars to remind you that the deal is still on. And the deal is still on, not because you've been faithful, because we know in fact that you haven't been and I haven't been. The deal is still on because he is faithful. He's always faithful. It's all he can be. It's who he is. And some of you are discouraged and some of you want to throw in the towel. Some of you want to walk away. Some of you want to give up on your faith right now. It's been more difficult than you ever imagined. The opposition has been greater than you ever imagined. But right now in this moment, what God wants you to know is that the deal is still on. And inside of you right now, there's both doubt and there's faith, right? Inside of you right now, there's, there's belief, but there's also unbelief. That's okay. That's the journey that we're all on. Inside of all of us, there's belief and there's unbelief. The only difference for people who go on to do amazing things for God are the people who choose to act on the belief part. And so that's what I want to encourage you today. As you walk out, yes, you have faith and you have doubt, you have belief and you have unbelief. Act on the belief. Act on the faith. You don't have to fulfill the promise. That's his job. And he will because he's faithful. And one of the ways that we act on faith, one of the ways that we kind of drive a stake in the ground on our journey, sometimes it's just through worship. It's just a moment where we can come together and we can declare with our mouths that we believe in the only one who will always be faithful to us. So I'm gonna give you a moment to do that, spiritually speaking, to kind of just drive a stake in the ground. Allow this to be a holy moment for you where you choose to act on belief. So let's worship together.
guys will just stay standing for just a second, all right? Just a second. Um, I think this is a really significant moment for some of you who maybe have never crossed the line of faith. 
Maybe your whole life has just been a string of broken promises to you. You've been surrounded by people who haven't been faithful to you. So it makes it really hard in a moment like this for you to trust a God that's unfaithful, that's ever faithful, forever and ever. And so I just wanna encourage you right now with one of the most unbelievable promises in scriptures, Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I know for some of you, are like, that sounds too good to be true. I know it does. I know. It's hard to understand how good, how sweet that promise is. But I can tell you firsthand, it is true. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're just like, you know what? I want to put my faith in a God like that. Maybe right now in this moment, you do that. Let's just all bow our head and close our eyes. And if today you'd like to receive Jesus into your life, just standing where you're standing right now in this moment, just, just pray along with me, just in your heart. Just say some words sim similar to this. Maybe it goes like this for you. Dear God, I just wanna ask you right now in this moment, with as much as I understand about you, I wanna ask you to come into my life. I wanna go your way and not my way. I wanna ask for what Jesus did on the cross to be applied to my life, applied to my sin, so I can receive forgiveness and spend eternity with you. And God, I understand that this is not about my righteousness, it's not about my good works, it's not about my merit, it's not about my faithfulness, this is about your faithfulness. Amen. And scripture says that simple prayer, that simple confession is the beginning of your journey with Jesus. When you came in today, you received a card that looks kind of like this, and on the back side, there's this connect card. And if you prayed that prayer today, there's a little box there at the bottom that just says, uh, I prayed to receive Jesus into my life for the first time. You can check that. And then on your way out, you can just drop that uh, in the box. Just because as a church, we wanna come alongside you and encourage you in this journey with Jesus. It's an amazing journey. There's nothing like it. And so as you guys go today, I hope that you'll be blessed. I hope you'll be reminded that we have a faithful God who's alive and well in your life. Be blessed and have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.
No sacrifice can now repeat.